Amen, all the time. Um, just a reminder, we, we shared it before some of you got here. This Sunday we are going to be starting our, what's it called, uh, our new series, our love series. And uh, pretty much it's going to rock. It's going to be amazing. And we're going to take it a different, we're going to take a different, different turn on love. And uh, it's going to be neat. We're not necessarily going to just be discussing like, Oh, love uh, in the sense of what you might think right off the top of your head. But we're going to grab it as an acronym. And we're going to talk about L-O-V-E, love listens. O, love obeys. V, love values. E, love endures. It, it really is going to be a special, a special February. That, that's for sure. I believe that. And um, I think we're going to be encouraged uh, through the scriptures this month. You know, I, I, I believe that if you miss church, you definitely should listen to the podcast. But I don't believe that it should get to that point. I think it's greater when you're in person, right? And you're in the presence as the word is being given out. Um, you just sense it in the atmosphere, in the people, in worship, if there's a calling after. I mean, uh, so I just encourage you to be here and bring everyone you know for the month of February. And um, I know we, this is such a perfect, perfect month to invite someone because who doesn't need more love in their lives? Who doesn't need to be told that they are loved? Um, who doesn't need to hear about love in the world that we're living in today? Amen? Amen. On Sunday, we spoke about um, bringing it for the Lord, for his glory. Remember that? For his glory, the glory of the Lord. And now we have the glory. We bring it for his glory. And now that this glory is possessed, it's, it's being held on to, um, what do we do with it, right? We're bringing it for his glory. Lord, it's all you. And, and we experience this glory with the Lord but what do we do with that glory? Where do we go with that glory? How do we handle that glory? Um, how do we speak of that glory? I, I think today will bless you as many of you guys don't get lost in the terminology, but understand what it represents in this message. In the Bible, it talks about mountains. In the Bible, it talks a little bit about mountaintops. But in the Bible, it also talks about valleys. And that's awesome. <laughs> because not everyone has the opportunity to always live on the mountaintop all of their lives. You guys know what I'm talking about? And sometimes we need to hear these kind of things because we feel like we're Christians. We should be in the mountaintop. And we're like, no, you're Christian. You should learn how to live in the valley. <laughs> And we're going to break this down, and, and, and I really hope that you don't allow the enemy to steal, your thoughts to steal, distractions to steal, anyone to steal from what I believe what God wants to share with you today in this study. If I were to call this anything, it would be called glory in the valley. Glory in the valley. That already is just like, wow, I need to hear this message today. I was able to share this this week as well, last week as well, and, and I'm just going to go ahead and share it again. Um, to many students, but I'm going to go ahead and share it again today to you guys. And it is a time of Jesus' life when he goes up to a mountain and he takes not all of his disciples. Jesus only takes three of his disciples with him. He takes Peter, James, and John. And it's a mountaintop experience. It's actually Jesus being transformed on the mount, the Mount of Transfiguration. When we went to Israel 20 
three of us or whatnot, we stood and we saw this mountain right before our faces. And we said, wow, this is the mountain more or less where the transfiguration happened. And all these events that I'm about to read actually took place. And I think um, it's going to bless you. Let's read it. If you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 9. And um, we're going to go to verse 2. And I'm going to read just in this passage, I'm going to read Mark 9, verse 2 through 10. Mark 9, verse 2 through, through 10. It's good to highlight and circle and to um, follow along in your word with me as I read it. Here we go. It says, now after six days, here's Jesus. He took Peter. Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and he led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. I, I kind of bolded that in my notes, and I've highlighted that in my Bible. Jesus takes these three individuals apart by themselves, separates them. From everything they know, from everyone they know, from the norm of living that they're used to, and he separates them. He, he brings them apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Verse 3 says, his clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. I'm like, man, that must be such an amazing sight. You know, I've read this passage so many times from different translations, and I never recognize that the New King James actually says, like, no launderer could whiten. So, so here is the author, and he's trying to describe how amazing this sight was. It was so bright. It was shining exceedingly white like snow. I mean, you don't even understand. It was just glorious, obviously. And then in verse 4, it says, And Elijah appeared to them <clears throat> with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Like, that's pretty Pretty cool because you need to understand what that means for Peter, James, and John. They're Jews and they've learned so much of Moses and so much of Elijah. Moses was their great hero that freed their ancestors from Egypt. And I mean, man, they're rich in knowledge when it comes to Moses. I mean, they stand on the first five books, the Pentateuch, the law. The, they stand on these books as Jewish men. So, so, so Moses is huge in Judaism. And, and Moses is, is a father of Judaism, more or less to say. And, and, and here is Moses, some thousands of years later, standing before Peter, talking to Jesus on this mountain. Can you imagine how amazing that must have been for Peter to see. Elijah, one of the great prophets of Israel. I mean, Elijah destroying the prophets of Baal. Elijah and everything that happened with Ahab and Jezebel. Elijah, the great prophet that would call fire from heaven. Standing before, one of the great prophets of his people. Standing right before, what are you guys doing here? And then, the most important thing, Jesus glorified right before them. And they're having a conversation. Can you imagine what Peter, James, and John must have felt, must have been going through, what they must have been saying to one another? I can't believe what I'm seeing here. Jesus is glorified. Elijah is here. Moses is here. What is this that we're looking at? What an experience. What a glorious moment. I don't know. What else would you call that? And then in verse 5 it says, Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, of course, Peter would say this. It's good for us to be here. <laughs> He's like, Moses is here. Elijah's here. You're brighter than ever. This is good. It's good for us to be here. We're also, it's good. Of course, Peter's going to say that. 
It's so good for us to be here. I have a great idea, Jesus. Tell me if you like my idea. Ready? Let us make three tabernacles. Let us make, let me build three tents. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. What did Peter want to do there on the top of that mountain? He, he wanted to, 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 to make kind of like a home there. Like, let's just settle here. Let's, let's, let's set up camp here and let's just have a little retreat. Let's have a little session. Let's sleep over. I'm going to build some tents. One for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses, and we'll just have a good old time. We'll see how long this lasts up here on the mountaintop. What do you think, Jesus? Good idea? P Peter was already thinking ahead because Peter's like that. This is a great idea. I get to spend more time with Jesus glorified, more time with Moses. More t I've had so many questions that I want to ask Moses. So many things that I want to ask Elijah. I'm going to build all of you a tent and we could all sleep over and we could all discuss this stuff. What an amazing experience this will be here in the mountaintop. What an amazing, glorious moment this is. Wow, Jesus, what an idea I have. What do you think? Should I start building the tent? Let's all settle Let's all set up camp. <laughs> Look at verse 7. Peter's giving his little pitch, right? His little, what do you think? And then a cloud came. <laughs> interruption came. I just want to say it like that. An interruption came with Peter's plans. An interruption came with what Peter had thought of. A cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud and the voice said, this is my beloved son, hear him. This is the second time that we see that the father is speaking and he's putting a seal on his son. And look at verse 8. After the interruption of the cloud and God's voice, verse 8 says, suddenly when they had looked around, because some, trans, some other, other gospels say that they fell to the floor when this cloud and this voice, so that when they finally got up, opened up their eyes to see what was going on, because they heard this voice, suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one anymore, and only Jesus with themselves. If you have your Bible, highlight this, only Jesus with them. I wonder what Peter said. Ah, oh, man, I never got to ask Moses the question. <laughs> oh, man, I never got to Ask Elijah that. When he looks up, it's just, it's just Jesus. That's it. <laughs> just Jesus. Just say that for me, with me. Just it's just Jesus. He opens up his eyes. He looks around. Where's Moses? Where's Elijah? It's just Jesus. Well, you think it's a coincidence? That is just Jesus. It's just Jesus. Some of you are already thinking, right? <laughs> you mean it's just Jesus. That's about enough. Let's keep going. Only Jesus was with them. Verse 9, and as they came down, as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one these things that they had seen. And then look what he says next. So the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead even meant. They didn't understand resurrection yet. So many cool things. They come down from the... Guys, what an experience on the mountaintop. But did you notice they didn't stay there? They come right back down. And who do they come down with? Just Jesus. And then Jesus comes and says, hey, don't tell anyone any of this stuff yet. Yet. You're going to tell them. 
eventually you're going to come down the mountain and you're going to have to speak of these things when I resurrect. You know, I read this passage, and the reason why I'm reading it so slow is because I really want you to chew on some of these words here. But I look at this, and I see Peter's words here, and just due to his words, it's obvious that whatever happened on this mountain was very special. Would you agree with me? It's something that neither of these disciples, Peter, James, and John, would ever forget in their lives, ever. I I know that to be true because they're going to tell of this moment in the future and the days to come, for years to come, for the rest of their lives. And Peter is so amazed about this whole thing that I know he's amazed because he wants to stay put in this experience. He wants to set up camp in this experience. And, and, and I like this because he really didn't want Moses and Elijah to leave. Instead, he wanted to build them both a tent along with Jesus. He was going to, to build them something so that they could remain there and, and stay there. And, and I start to read the words and I start to read this passage and, and I'm getting the bigger picture. I see that what Peter and these disciples, what they really wanted was... They wanted this experience to last longer. I wouldn't even doubt if they wanted it to last forever, if you ask me. But it's obvious that Peter wanted it to last longer. But in the process of Peter wanting it to last longer and asking, should I build everyone a tent that's involved up here? I love how the father just steps into the scene and and he just interrupts everything that Peter is saying. And when Peter finally gets to look up, it's just them and it's just Jesus standing before them. I read this and I say, there has to be a reason. And I'm guessing that the the reason why just Jesus was there before them, I, I, I guess I get it. Here it is. I know for a fact that Jesus knew Peter's thoughts and his inner thoughts, his inner motives. He knew exactly what Peter was doing. And he shows up and he says, it's just me. And then we keep reading this story and, and this, and that happened on this mountain. And then it says that he took them all. He took them back down, Peter, James, and John, down from that mountain. And then I started to think about this throughout the last couple of weeks. And, and I said, man, I'm going to share this with the group that comes on Wednesday, not necessarily on Sunday. Maybe in a Sunday in the near future, I'll, I'll share this eventually. But, but I look at this story, and I have to remind myself this, and I want to remind everyone here this. It's this, ready? Don't ever forget this. We don't live for an experience, but we live for the person who is Jesus Christ. And here is Peter so caught up in the experience that when the experience is over, who's standing before him? It's just Jesus. And it's a reminder to the reader that that we don't live for a specific experience, but we take in the person and we live for a specific person, and it's Jesus Christ. So when they come down the mountain, they don't leave with Moses. They don't leave with Elijah. They don't leave with the cloud. They don't leave with the Father's voice from heaven. They don't leave with the whole experience. I read this passage, and it's very clear that the only thing that they leave with is just Jesus. And not because it's just Jesus, but because it's just Jesus. 
That's what he wanted them to take. Just me, just him. And it's the same thing for us today. That whatever we experience and whatever we feel and whatever we hear and whatever we see and I could go down, etc., etc. The truth is we can't stay there forever. We can't live in that moment forever. Because eventually we might have to come down from that mountain at some point or another. And how pointless is it to come down with just stories of what you saw, of what you heard, and of what you felt. The whole purpose is that you come down not just with stories, not just with an experience, but with a person. And that is just Jesus. Come with Jesus down the mountain. It's just Jesus, just all about Jesus. So I ask this next question because I've experienced this. Are you holding on to the mountaintop experience rather than to Jesus? Many people start their faith, but they don't finish their faith because they held on to an experience and they never held on to Christ and they died out experience burns out all that stuff that we feel dies I mean Sunday ended and I need another Sunday to come already because Sundays come and Sundays go Jesus his word remains forever notice this he commanded them that Hey, you're not to tell any one of these things, nothing that you've seen. And don't tell anyone until the Son of Man, he says, had risen from the dead. And I look at this, and I, could, I get what Jesus is trying to say here. It's like Jesus is saying, Peter, James, John, listen to what I'm about to tell you. What you just saw here, there's going to be a time where you're going to have to speak of these things. And when you speak of them, you're going to see it's going to be a time of great need. The people that you're going to speak of these things are going to be in need to hear what you have to say. So then I started to think, and I said, man, this is so true. The valley is in need of what you bring down from the mountaintop. And what we bring down from the mountaintop into the valley is Jesus. And people that are there, that are going to experience what we've experienced here, and we take it out there, if we don't hold on to Jesus and show it to them out there, how will we ever and who are we ever going to introduce them to meet them at their deepest need if it's not Jesus? You want to know what changes someone? It's not for you to say, hey, come to my church. You're going to love the lights. You're going to love the sounds. You're going to love the guy that gives you water. You're going to love the way that person next to you sings. You're going to just, you're going to love the way the pastor, right? You want to know what changes people? It's Jesus Christ. And it's Jesus' word. And if you sell an experience only without the person of Jesus, then everything that we are selling to them, that feeling, that thing that they're going to see, that thing that they're going to watch, that thing that they're going to experience has no substance. It's not going to bring any true transformation or true fruit if Christ is not the person that we're taking to the valley. 
to introduce them. And I thought about this, and I said, man, this is so true because so many times I go on and I tell people they need to, should, and they come to church, and they should. Don't get me wrong. But what good is a whole experience, and what good is all the glitter and glamour if there is no Christ? I know so many people that tell stories about God. I know so many people that tell stories about church. I know people that... I know people that tell me how amazing the experience is, how amazing they feel, even when the worship is playing. I've heard so many people say, what a cool and great experience they went through or they feel or they've passed through, whatever. But as I really start to listen to them and I watch their lives, you know what I really recognize? Many times I hear how amazing all that stuff is, but there's no glory, but there's no power, there's no anointing, there's no person, there's no Jesus. That's a sad place to be. May we never get to this point. Don't stay on the mountaintop, but bring its glory down with you because there's a need in the valley of the glory of Jesus that you found on the mountaintop. And you will see that in that valley, this Christ that you found, oh man, it's, it's strong in the valley. It's, it's bright in the valley. It's light in the darkness. It's strength in that weakness. I think about the prophet Isaiah when he speaks to Israel in a desperate time of their history I want you to listen to these words. I'm going to read two verses in Isaiah chapter 60. Very popular verses. But look what Isaiah tells Israel. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. That's a powerful passage. Behold, darkness. Behold, darkness. And then he goes on to say, no, no, just not just darkness, but thick darkness. But, but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. Where? In the darkness. Let's translate that. In the valley. I start to think about Moses if you're Take notes and you want to read with me in Exodus chapter 34. In Exodus 34, Moses is, has led the people out of Israel. And there's a lot of disobedience that has gone on. And as a matter of fact, he gets so frustrated that he even breaks the tablets of the commandments. And he's got to go back up to the presence of God. And God has to rewrite the tablets again. And, and as he goes back up to the tablets in one of these stories, uh, goes back up to the glory of God on the mountain called Sinai, on the wilderness, on the way to the promised land, there's some cool experiences. There's one cool experience in 19. I like this one right here in chapter 34 of Exodus. Let, let's read it and, and see if you get something out of it. It says that when Moses came down Mount Sinai carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face became radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. 
I love how the Lord just shines his glory on us. And so when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called out to them and asked Aaron and all the leaders of the community to come, to come over. And he talked with them. And all the people of Israel approached him. And Moses gave them all the instructions that the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. On that mountain. What an experience. But notice, he doesn't stay there. He comes back down. He comes back down. And he shares with the people God's word. When Moses finished speaking, verse 33, with them, he covered his face with a veil. And whenever he went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord again, he would remove the veil until he came out again. And then he would give the people whatever instructions the Lord had given him, verse 35. And the people of Israel would see the radiant glow of his face and he would put the veil over his face until he returned to speak with the Lord. I love that there's an emphasis on the veil, 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 veil. I love that. I love that. I like that, that Jesus one time was on the cross as well, and there was emphasis on the veil. There were so many things that were happening on Calvary on the day that Jesus died. Seven statements that were powerful, powerful seven statements that Jesus gives us. I mean, there's an amazing situation going on with a man who is a criminal right next to Jesus, who is he saving in the midst of his death. I mean, it's so so much crazy things going on in the spiritual on Calvary on the day of his crucifixion. But I love when he takes his last breath and he cries out with a loud voice, it is finished. I love what scripture tells us. It says that the temple in Jerusalem, when he breathed his last breath and came out and he says it is finished it says that the veil of the temple was torn in half I mean I don't have time to go into the veil and go into the temple and go back all the way to the tabernacle and what happened with Moses' day but that veil was very important because it separated it separated the people from the holy of holies beyond that veil um, was very glorious but but wherever there is um, heavy glory it could also be a uh, very dangerous. <laughs> and if there was sin or if there was improper way of doing things, when you passed that veil, and if it wasn't on a specific day, whoever passed that veil, um, spe- specifically the high priest, would die if it was not done correctly. The veil separated the glory of God from his people. You know, I love in the old school weddings, I've married, I don't know how many people, too many that I don't have enough fingers to count many people I've married. And I don't know if I've Mary married a woman, uh, a bride yet with a veil that nowadays no one wears veils anymore. But in the old days, the women used to come down the aisle and they had the veil on. It was a separation from her and her husband. They come up to the altar and the minister is about to marry them and pronounce them husband and wife, the two now becoming one. And in the midst of this, he gives his exit statement and he pretty much tells them, I now announce you, husband and wife, you may kiss your bride. And I love what the brides and the old school brides would do. They would grab their veil and they would now expose themselves to their husbands, to their partner, to their one. And the kiss was given 
the cement was there, the glue is there, the two become one. I mean, we know in Scripture it gets a little bit deeper than that, but whatever. And, and we see the symbolism there. But I love that the veil would separate that. No man wants to kiss his bride with the veil on her face. That's just awkward. I want to give her a smooch. I want to give my wife a kiss. I don't want to kiss that garment in front of your lips, baby. And they would take away that veil. And they would expose themselves. Here I am, my beloved. I'm all yours. I love that when Jesus is on the cross, he says it is finished and the veil is torn. And it's almost as if God is saying, here I am, my beloved. I'm all yours. I'm all yours. You have free access. You can come in whenever you want. Here I am. Nothing separates our intimacy ever again because of what the lamb has done on the cross. The veil has been torn. Come. Here I am. Intimacy begins. Intimacy begins. Did you notice every time Moses would get intimate on Mount Sinai, what he would do with the veil? When he would hear from God, he would do what with his veil? He would remove it. And then he would come to the people. (laughs) Sorry, I'm shining so bright. And I read the scripture and I say, you know, Exodus 34, I get why it happened. People were terrified. People were scared. Actually, people are so scared. Let's go beyond the veil. Moses is going up to Mount Sinai because the people were scared. So they wanted Moses to be the spokesperson because they all should have gone up and gone to the presence of God. But because of their fear of the Lord and, and they were scared of him and they didn't want to get intimate with him, God just had to speak to Moses and Moses had to be, you know, that's how churches are today. People kind of like rub on their pastors, give me the word of God of the day. And you were like, no, go to the mountain yourself and you receive the word of the God for the day. What the heck you mean? I'm not, Mo- listen, I'm not Moses. I'm, I'm a shepherd, I pastor, but I'm not Moses. Like I'm not going up to the Lord on your behalf. Hey, listen, this is how we go up together before the Lord. Let's do it. And, and, and that's amazing because we see that taking off the veil and, his, and he would come back to them, his face would glow and he would come back. He would come down the mountain. But I want to remind all of us here today that this veil, when it is spoken of, the veil was to separate God's glory from his people. And we are no longer, to, we're no longer called to live with a veil. The veil, from what I read in the New Testament, has been torn. And I am not interested in wearing a veil anymore. And I'm definitely not interested in anything separating me from God's glory anymore. So I'm going to come in without a veil because I'm no longer separated from God. And as I receive from the Lord what I receive, I'm not going to just stay with what I receive. But just like Moses and just like Peter, James, and John when they come down with Jesus in that scripture that I read earlier... We all have a uh, responsibility to do with what we received up there, and that is to take to everyone down there what you have just experienced, and what we've experienced is not feelings, it's not sounds, it's a person, and it's just Jesus, and that's enough for them to save them. Bring the glory to the valley. Moses brought it to the children of Israel. Peter, James, and John brings it to the world. Let The glory of the Lord affect people as well. 
don't separate. Don't allow a veil to separate what you are experiencing and what you are going through with the person of Jesus. Take it to them and let it affect them. I know this might bother you. I know this might hurt you. I know this might touch some sensitive areas. But I'm going to allow the glory of the Lord to touch you the way it's touched me. Let me talk to you about Jesus. I have a student here and I have churches here, a church here. And you've always heard me say this. I won't always say, I won't always say what is good to your ears. But I, as long as I'm called to pastor, will always preach what is good for you. Not necessarily good for you to hear. Because sometimes, like you've heard me say, what is good for us is not necessarily good for us to hear. And this is the truth when we release God's glory in the valley to save people and to affect people and touch people. We can't just put a veil and close ourselves and we can't just live up on the mountain. But with that person of Christ and the glory of the Lord that we've received, we now must do something in return. And that is to allow it to shine on others that we do life before. I love what Paul says to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians 4.6. He says this, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I, I, I want this prayer in my life. I want your light to shine in me and shine amongst the darkness. Shine in my heart to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. In the face of Jesus Christ. I want that when I do life and when I speak and when I'm around people, that the face of Jesus is on them. And then they will know the knowledge of the glory of God. But it all starts with his light shining in our hearts. At times we may fear the valley. But I encourage you, and I tell you this today, there's no need to fear the valley. Because in all these scriptures, we notice this and we see this. You have Christ. We have the mountaintop power, the mountaintop light, while living in the darkness of the valley. And that's enough for us. How many of you have experienced valley moments in your life? I have. And I'll tell you what. In those valley moments, we're called... We're called to be a light in the darkness of the valley. But how will we ever be a light in the darkness of the valley if it's not with just Jesus? That's our substance. That's our depth. It's Christ and his word. It's not the church. It's not what you experience. It's not what you feel. It's not what you hear. It's Jesus and his word shining light in your valley and in your darkness. What an amazing truth that is. So when you enter a darkness, when you enter a valley, remember, Lord, shine your light on my heart. That it would show the face of Jesus and revealing the knowledge of God. The psalmist in Psalm 121 Look what he says. Obviously, he's standing in a valley because why else will he look up? I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where shall my help come from? And he answers his own question, right? My help comes from the Lord. Where does this help come from? 
You can answer it. From the what? Notice he, he's in the valley. He looks up to the mountain. Where does my hope come from? My hope comes from the Lord. Did you notice what he did not say? It didn't come from just worship service, the song that they were singing, the lights. the gla- It comes from the person. It comes from Christ. It comes from the Lord. Notice the wordage that is used there. I'm in a valley. I need help. And I lift up my eyes to the mountains. That's where my help comes from. It comes from the person. It comes from the Lord. And I'll prove it to you that it's the Lord. It's not just an experience. It's not just a feeling. It's not just what they hear. It's not just a rumbling. It's not just goosebumps. It's the Lord. Why? Look what it says next. Who made heaven and earth. And he will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. And notice the emphasis. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not smite you day by day, nor the moon by night, but the Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. It's the Lord. It's just the Lord. It's not her, him, them, money, the experience, the church, the lights, the glamour. It's not the TV evangelist. It's nothing. It's none of that. It is the Lord. He is your help. He is your strong tower. He is your direction. He is your keeper. He is your shade. He is your sun. He is your moon. He is your protection. He is the one that keeps your soul. He is your guard. He is everything from this time forth and forever. It's in nothing else but the Lord. Take that Lord. Take that glory and live it in the valley. And you will be able to continue on in life. It's the Lord. It's found in the Lord. It's the person. And there is a glory in the valley. Because the glory comes from the mountaintop. And then that glory is a person. And the psalmist says, it's the Lord. It comes from the Lord. In Psalm 23, the most the famous psalm of all psalms, here it is. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. How many of you have heard of this before? Right? We've heard it. Psalm 23, I get it. It's almost in every funeral. It's in every, the Lord is my shepherd. But but did you catch verse 4? The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down. He leads me. He restores me. And we're all like, yes, amen. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. And verse 4 says, yeah. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Come on, man. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me in green pastures. He, he, he brings peace to my soul, right? All these things. Yes, yes. And we're all like, hey, man, preach good, brother. Preach it good. Yes. And then verse 4, he's like, yeah, yeah. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Because when we read verses 1, 2, 3, it's like power, victory, amazingness. Woo, right? And verse 4, the revelation hits us. But I'm in the valley. The Lord is all those things, but I am in the valley. Yeah. Though I walk 
through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Look at this revelation the psalmist gets. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I can't read all the psalm, but I'll read up to six. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, we sing songs of this stuff on Sundays. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And God's people say, yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. (laughs) Come on, man. Who are we fooling, man? Who are we fooling? Who are we fooling? Lord, as we walk through the valley, there we see your glory. There is where it's really, really seen. Hey, Peter, I know you just liked what you saw, man. I know you just liked what you felt. I know you want to tell the world. But, man, I'm going to reveal to you. I'm going to speak of these things. Take the glory to the people when I tell you. Peter, did you notice who you walked down with? Yeah, Lord. Who? Just you, Jesus. That's it. Just Jesus. So, Jesus, you mean to tell me that though I walk through the valley at times, Yeah, when you walk through the valley, I will be your shepherd. I will make you lie down. I will lead you. I will restore you. I will be with you. My rod and my staff, it will comfort you. I will prepare tables before enemies. I will anoint your head. My anointing will run over you. Oh, goodness and mercy will follow you. I promise you all the days of my life, and you're going to dwell in the house of the Lord. But, but all of that, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Come on, embrace the valley, because there's a glory in the valley. The valleys are needed in your life, because the glory is revealed in the valley. So that person had to die. So you had to get fired. So they had to walk out on your marriage. So your kid had to go through that. See how real we could get right now? But the question is, as I just experienced maybe some of your valleys, where does your help come from? Where's the glory? There is a glory in your valley, and it's got to be Jesus. Hold on. It's got to be just Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Just Jesus. Oh, man, I feel the presence of God in this place. Thank you, Lord. Break down walls in this place, God. Shatter thoughts that are not of you, O God. Heal in the valley, O God. 
glory in the valley, oh God. Thank you, Jesus. You're doing a work in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that this group, you wanted them here today to hear this word. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, may we, may we shine, may we live in that glory while walking through our valley. May we recognize that there is a glory in the valley and may we embrace the valley. And in that valley, may your light shine brighter than ever, O oh God. May we never forget these psalms that we read. May we never forget these passages of the Old Testament. May we never forget this passage in the New Testament with Peter and the other guys. Lord God, I just pray that this word might have just um, transformed us, Lord God, done a miracle in an area of our lives. I know that for some people here, this is the exact word that they needed to hear today. I pray for growth through your word today. I pray for strength today, edification today, maturity today, oh God. I pray for your glory, Lord God. We, we, we do it for the glory of the Lord. Yes, we learned that. But, Lord, now I, I pray that we would grab on, hold on to you, O Christ, to you, O Lord, and that, Lord, in the valley that you would be revealed more than ever, O God. I thank you, Lord, and, and that I would recognize that it's enough. You, just Jesus, you're enough, O God. Your word and you are just enough. So I thank you for this evening. I thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives Thank you for our church here. Thank you for my brothers and sisters, Lord. I pray that this Sunday would just be booming, just powerful in your word and in your presence and in song and in music. That you would uh, just transform people as we start off our series and we talk about love listens. And that the month of February would just rock our lives as we declare the gospel in this building. Um, let us walk, let us... Well, if we walk, let us walk home, but let us get home safely. Let us get home filled, and let us take this glory to our valley, and let us show the world that our help comes from the Lord, the Lord, and their help comes from the Lord as well. Thank you for this evening. We glorify your name. Anoint the rest of this week in Jesus' mighty name, and together we say amen. amen. You can give God some praise. Why not? He deserves it. He deserves it.